Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Podcast number one. This is Alex Masmej. He's an entrepreneur and Mr. Human IPO himself. He co-founded Rocket NFT, which provides personal loans that are collateralized by non-fungible tokens or NFTs. These are things like virtual real estate, domain names, or crypto art. He received a lot of press when he sold $20,000 worth of Alex tokens to fund his move to San Francisco, offering these Alex token holders a portion of his future income and the opportunity to control his life, among other things. I think you're really going to enjoy this wide-ranging conversation about very unique opportunities within crypto. We cover a lot of topics in the Ethereum ecosystem, including income share agreements and via these personal tokens, non-fungible tokens or NFTs, among many others. Enjoy. So welcome, Alex. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, super excited to be here. I wanted to just start off just a little background, who you are, where you are, what you did before crypto and kind of how you got into crypto. Sure. I started getting interested in crypto around mid-2017. So I first bought like $100 of Bitcoin. And I was super interested in basically the next breakthrough tech because I knew I wanted to be a founder for pretty much all my career. And I knew that I had to find a, a huge new technology that had very low barriers of entry. And so I thought crypto was a really good one, but didn't do anything full-time on it till 2019. So roughly like a year ago now, I joined Meta Cartel, which is a group of entrepreneurs in the crypto space that do hackathons and they build small projects. And so before the seed round, Meta Cartel uh, collective kind of invests small sums to get the prototype going before they go on to raise a seed round. I started off Meta Cartel. So this is a DAO, which is like a new primitive in Ethereum where it's a community bank account. And it's really interesting. So after that, I co-founded Marketing DAO, which is another DAO. So, but this time it's for marketing and so pushing the Ethereum brand, the Ethereum narrative. Then after this, I created a group about decentralized finance loans, DeFi loans. It was called Underclutterized DeFi. And from that experiment, I founded Rocket, which is basically takes NFT digital assets as a collateral. It's a brand new way of getting a loan by putting down something that's not directly money in crypto, but that's actually an asset that can be a domain name or crypto art and things like this. And then I decided to move away because it was very crypto nerdy and probably not a huge market pool. And I tokenized myself with the Alex token to give me time to figure out what startup I want to do as a founder for the next few years of my life. And uh, at the same time, innovating with this new form of basically pre-seed investment. And so I've done many things with the Alex token and super happy to discuss it today. Definitely. And I'm, I'm very interested to uh, tease out a little bit more about Rocket and Alex and personal tokens, obviously. So I'm curious, you first started with Bitcoin and then you ended up in these DAOs and Ethereum. So what most attracted you to Ethereum in the early days? Right. So I think... The real reason, and I think this is not just for me, but this is for many people in Ethereum, it's when you discover Bitcoin and you understand that it's a scarce asset and it's a way of breaking free of any thought of government or government-governed currencies, 
you realize you don't really have any room for any sort of impact unless you're part of the Bitcoin core team, which is like a very, very, very small number of exceptional engineers, I suppose. And so as a founder, I just had no impact or I could not be really useful to the Bitcoin community. And this is where I found Ethereum, where they created a smart contract language that makes it as easy as internet software to build new things in crypto. And there were so many use cases and, and we're just seeing it right now. There are so many things to do with it and it's just a start. And this is why it's so amazing. Bitcoin is kind of like email. It's a, it's a great technology, but there's very limited things you can do with it. And Ethereum is more like the entire internet. And so it seems to me that there was way more opportunities. And so this is why I just basically joined the journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I think that's exactly right. There's so much happening on Ethereum. And I think this is part of the problem of trying to explain what is Ethereum and what the potential is. Bitcoin is digital gold. It's this trustless new currency. ETH, there's a lot going on on it. It sounds like you first got involved with DAOs just Briefly on DAOs, you explained it as a community bank account, which is a great way of explaining it. But how do you see the DAO structure evolving in the space? Because the idea has been around for a while, right? Touch a little bit on MetaCartel and marketing DAO and uh, how they're doing things a little differently in uh, new, innovative ways. Right, for sure. Basically, DAO is trying to revolutionize something that has not been touched for a long time. So the idea is the theories has been probably there for a long time, but the practical applications have never been sought out before uh, Ethereum. It was way less practical to do. And now it's possible. And so basically like incorporating a company or any kind of uh, entity in any jurisdiction is a national process. It's a red tape paperwork. It's anything but digital. And so because we can code any sort of value, on Ethereum, we can code equity. And so DAO is just a brand new way of getting an organization that can make money or can give out grants and it's run by software and not by legal papers or document. And so I've tried it for, of course, the first few months of my short-lived crypto career. And I think the space is extremely early right now. Uh, they are Basically, like the two biggest challenges, one is how to make money with a DAO. Okay, we can make a bank account that we can share and it works today. It's been working with Moloch where we collect funds and we give out funds to Ethereum to developers so that we incentivize the development of blockchain itself. So that's one problem, which is uh, how to make money with a DAO. And then the second problem is how to make it legal because, of course, this is like a transnational entity that's governed by open source and there might not be all the enforcement uh, that the law has uh, embedded in itself. And so should we need to code that same law and jurisdictions on Ethereum? Should we create a new, more efficient model, but then we have to comply with the regulations and how will this work at bit scales? And so the latest things that I'm not too involved in because I kind of, I'm not as involved in the DAO space as before is a uh, venture fund, there's two right now. There's the Lao by Open Law, which is consensus legal arm, and Metacatel Ventures. And so both of these experiments are legal. So that means that the, they are both, I think, LLCs incorporated in the United States, in Delaware. 
and they are investing in crypto startups and they invest with that token, which is super smart because it's digital native, right? It's crypto native to invest not in equity, but in the token itself. So they both are solving two things at once. They both are solving the legal problem and they are solving the money-making problem. And so I think uh, if you are looking at cutting edge experiments in the DAO space, I would recommend to check out MetaCital Ventures and the Lao, which are the next version of Y Combinator or other startup accelerator. It's going to be really interesting to see. I'm actually talking to Peter next week about MetaCartel Ventures because I, I find it very fascinating. I get that that's solving the problem of making money, but it's basically just a, an investment vehicle that you come to consensus on the investments that the DAO is investing in. It's very different from some of these other DAOs. Like one of the DAO structures that you had mentioned earlier is giving money to developers to further develop the Ethereum ecosystem. How then are you making any money back on that? Or that's the problem? So I think the, the problem that Moloch was solving is that Ethereum 2 will be useful for everyone. But if everyone... If every team with big funding from, let's say, 2017 ICOs, for instance, were trying to create their own Ethereum 2 development team separately, that would be way less efficient. And so Moloch works without making money because it basically like ends the free rider problem of the tragedy of the commons, meaning that everyone expects someone else to develop Ethereum. But really, people are focused on their own startup and they are not incentivized to improve the blockchain system itself, although it would benefit everybody. And so this is why Moloch was a real revolution because everyone has a small, everyone gives out, let's say, 10 times less funding than they would have if they had a dedicated team, but they all get the outcome that they wanted to and they can coordinate and they can even create a bigger team and there will be less communication silos because everyone will get updated in the space and it's a very great symbiotic experiment. So, uh, yeah, this is the reasoning behind Moloch, uh, the, the the initial version of Moloch, which is called Moloch, which is the Moloch DAO protocol, which is super interesting. Yeah, it's certainly a fascinating space, one that I want to dive into a lot deeper. The second big jump into crypto sounds like was Rocket and these NFT collateralized loans. So just high level, can you explain to me what it is and what it does? Sure. So basically, I was frustrated by the fact that right now in crypto, if you want to get a loan, it has to be over collateralized, uh, at least in decentralized finance. The reason is in crypto, I'm not talking about Coinbase or like centralized exchange, like in the decentralized wild west right now, you have to get more, you have to lock some money to deposit some money in order to get a loan. And that loan, of course, has to be lower because since you can be anonymous in crypto with just your crypto address and you can create a wallet uh, in a second, it's really important to make sure that there is no trust involved. But that's a bit restrictive because then most people, like 99% of the loans are under collateralized in real life, meaning that people need the money. Like they're not giving, getting a loan to do some kind of speculation like the main crypto use cases. And so I thought how to make it happen. And there's, there are many startups right now today trying to do DeFi loans. But one thing that I found is like, why not instead of using 
uh, collateral like ETH or DAI or actual money. Let's try for assets that are not money, but they are, they are still crypto native. And naturally, they are NFTs. It can be game items. It can be virtual real estate, crypto art, collectibles like CryptoKitties, which isn't exactly a game, but it's something that's rare mm. in supply. And the fifth, I think I might have forgotten, but wait, collectibles, game items, domain names, crypto art, and virtual real estate. Yeah, these are the five, the, the five use cases. And so Rocket basically takes a loan against those assets. And if that person doesn't repay, we liquidate it. The, the fact is we actually never liquidated anything. Everyone is repaying. And actually the, the first phase of loans is actually very soon ending in two weeks. And I'm very proud personally, because I think we are on track to do 5% on ETH in just six months. So it's insane because you cannot make that much return on ETH. Of course, it was a very risky experiment, but yeah. So long story short, Rocket gives out loans in ETH or DAI against a NFT that we lock into a multi-sig. So like just a shared wallet of all the holders that give out the money. And it's been working well so far. It's not that it's under collateralized, which is a very risky thing. Exactly, it's exactly, more that yeah. it's just collateralized by a different asset, one that isn't a traditional asset that still has value, right? Exactly. Yeah. When people take a loan in the bank, it's actually not under collateralized either. It's usually collateralized by your house, for instance. Uh, but house is a non-monetary asset, right? It's not directly something like money and it's something that people can still use. And we wanted to do the same. And for instance, we did like a, a loan against a ENS domain name and the ENS was still set up to work while we locked it. So that person can still benefit from the domain name. But at the same time, we could have liquidated and changed the name to punish the owner. So there was still a deterrent so that they had to repay the loan. But at the same time, they didn't lose anything. Uh, they didn't lose the utility, just like someone didn't lose the utility of their house while taking out a loan. So I thought this was a very smart way of basically avoiding to put down some money first. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So my next question would be, so, so I have this NFT, say uh, a virtual land, so a plot of land in Decentraland. And I say, I want to unlock the value of this Decentraland asset that I own. So I, I want to get a, a loan from Rocket. So I give this, I put this in the multi-sig collateral. How do you value this piece of land to determine how much you can give me as a loan? What's, can you walk me through the process there? That, that's a great question. So first of all, you picked a very great example because virtual real estate, especially by Decentraland, is by far the asset that the people in the DAO, including myself, like the best because uh, it's scarce. It has some value and it's not just a one-off, like art is kind of a one-off or it's not, it's not also subject to hype like games. Games can gain and lose popularity very quickly, but Decentraland is like another world and it seems like it's going to be a bit long last, longer lasting. So first of all, the type itself, as I just explained, is important. Then I basically talk to expert in that area or like expert. Of course, crypto is so young, but I talk to people who are familiar with virtual real estate and they tell me, for instance, in the virtual land, like how many parcels is this? 
how close is it to the center of the map? Is it close to a, a monument or any significant things on decentralized real estate? So really that part is not too uh, far from actual real estate assessment. So location is important. The beauty of the background, which just sounds a bit crazy because it's like a video game almost, but this is kind of how it works. And then, then I tell the DAO about the interest rates. And right now in crypto, there's just no real science. I don't have a formula to tell you <laughs> about uh, what right. to do. I just told the DAO and they tell me uh, many things. And so we discussed uh, a lot of things. We want to charge a rather high interest rate because we are not exactly sure if we can resell it and stuff. So it's in between 20% APY to 60% APY, which is enormous, right, to pay. But it's for short periods, usually like three months or six months. And also it's for small amounts. Like actually, well, we did try to do a $20,000 loan, but that was just before COVID and it failed. But the average loan was around a thousand bucks. So, you know, paying 15% for six months is like 150 die in six months, which isn't that much. And so this was great for both parties because nowhere else in crypto can you loan a digital asset. And on the other end, nowhere else could we find a better interest rate on the money from the DAO. So it seemed like a risk-taking uh, risk experiment, but a worthy one. So, yeah, so the interest rate were quite high. And we also wanted an ETH because... Everyone was bullish on ETH in the DAO, so the people giving out the funds and deciding whether or not to make a loan. Everyone was bullish on ETH. Uh, unfortunately, shortly after Rocket, there was like a huge crash in crypto, which made it seem like maybe we should have taken DAI instead. But at the same time, we were just playing. Like Rocket is, is, is showing DeFi what can be done outside of normal collateral. So the money that goes for these loans was collected via a DAO in yes. ETH from a group of participants, correct? Is it public? How much was raised? Yeah, for sure. So there is, uh, I think, 170 ETH, 200 ETH at peak or something. So it's something, depending on ETH price, between $30,000 and $60,000, which was actually more than enough because the utilization ratio was never over 50%. So really, we at most needed... 15,000 to 25,000. We didn't need that much money, but it was great. And so we raised it from uh, just people wanted to try out. So there's Jordan Leal from Consensus CodeFi. There is Peter Pan, Soleimani. So these two are like very involved in the DAO space. So they wanted to try it out. Then Gitcoin grants. I, I think there was like $2,000 from the grants that I put back into the DAO, myself and people who worked on it. So it's not that much money. Everyone just kind of put like five, 10 ETH and it just amounted to that amount, which wasn't an enormous amount, but we didn't need that much anyways. And we're doing like 5% on it in six months, which in ETH is pretty remarkable because you cannot find this rate on Compound, for instance. No, uh, but you're also taking a pretty substantial amount of risk, I would imagine. This portfolio of like 30 to 60K Kind of what's the breakdown, how many loans, average loan size? These don't have to be exact, but just to paint a little picture there. So the loan sizes were on average between $500 to $2,000, $3,000. And we were about to do a massive loan 
someone came to us with $200,000 of virtual real estate and he was asking for 20,000 die. And that was, I was super excited by this loan and I really wanted to make it, but I, yeah, pretty much like COVID happened and the Dow funds just crashed and we had like something like $18,000 and yeah, like it just, we did like a Dow call and there was just not enough money and we decided to delay it. And that person didn't want to do it after the COVID crash. Like it could have been a, a huge loan, but the other loan were pretty small size. I would say $1,000 and we made like, I think seven of them. So that's like $7,000, $8,000 in total, which is very little because we got something like 400, 450 requests, which is a large number. And the thing is, I started to kind of lose interest in Rocket. I thought the market was really small. And out of all these requests, we had many requests that were like just unfundable, like uh, CryptoKitties or video game items or people just kind of like spamming and just asking for free money. And so this is why I thought, okay, this is a nice experiment, but I'm not really willing to do this full time. And so that's why we did very few loans pretty much. And it was medium size. I mean, small size, sorry. Gotcha. Well, it's, it's a lot of each, each loan. It sounds like there's a ton of work and due diligence that comes in. It's very customized. It takes a lot of time. So I get it on that topic. So everybody throws in some ETH. And then the profits from the individual or the loan portfolio is, are paid out pro rata. And then a portion is paid to Rocket, the entity, for like this extra due diligence sort of work that you're doing. Is that the way it works? No. <laughs> to be honest, it's it's a MolochDAO. So there's a price per share. When we decide to take money out, The everyone is diluted. And when we get the money back, everyone gets the interest equally. And so I was just skinning the game in Rocket, I guess. I put 10 ETH of mine. And so I will receive on those 10 ETH 5%, which is, I think, 0.5 ETH. And uh, yeah, I guess I didn't just, I didn't really choose to, to pay myself for this. It was a pretty small experiment, but it was quite successful. And I got like investors and I think I could have raised a small round, but I just don't think it was a huge market pool. I think I'm, I'm great at marketing and think, and seeming like this is bigger than it actually is. And so this kind of right. tricked people, but yeah, like it was such an amazing experiment. I'm not, I'm not saying this is uh, bad at all. Like it was small, but it was really, really awesome. And uh, yeah, so no, there was no fee. Everyone gets diluted and gets the rewards equally. And so this is how it worked. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Well, there's, there's, it's kind of tough to stay motivated on something that you're only just getting the same proportion as everybody else. And you're putting in a lot more work, it sounds like. So um, looking at all of the, the, the landscape of NFTs, like what are considered the most risky assets to take as collateral uh, against these loans, in your opinion? So the least liked asset is for me, video games. So I might be biased because I am not a gamer whatsoever, but video games have very, sometimes they have short-lived hype. And so this was one reason why I was scared. Maybe it could have done, it could have been for like maybe two weeks or three weeks, like maybe like Gods and Chain, like you, you borrow a few top cards or top game items that, just for a tournament that you then give back. That maybe could have been uh, a great use case. But I, yeah, we decided to basically like the hierarchy was virtual real estate is the best asset because it's a mix of 
something that's scarce, that's durable. It's also kind of fungible because, you know, like one real estate in Decentraland will be useful for the entire game. So there's many of that same class. So virtual real estate is first in my mind, at least from Decentraland, CryptoVoxels and Sandbox. Then the second use case that was really great was crypto art because crypto art outlives any platform. You just hold the NFT. Art is quite subjective, but if the artist is famous enough, so we did a loan with Renil, which is a famous NFT art collector, and he, he had some Josie Bellini NFT art. And so uh, Josie Bellini is like very famous in the ecosystem. And so I thought, well, this is a great piece. This is a great collateral. So virtual real estate art, and then domain name as well was really cool to do a loan with ENS one of the ENS directors, because I knew he wanted to, of course, keep it. He works at ENS himself. And that was a cool experiment. And he could use his domain name even while it was collateralized. So that was really great. So I would say these are the top three. And then game items and collectibles, it's a bit harder because it's really depending on speculations and things like this. It's not exactly hard, so it's tricky. And then it's not either uh, virtual real estate where it's a more general purpose item. So when it's something that's dependent on the game, I'm not too sure of. That's for me the riskiest asset. Yeah, that makes sense. With some of these, they've got to be very, very illiquid as well. So there's always this illiquidity premium on it. Uh, Kind of just high level, the loan to value amounts. You said the the real estate, 200,000 and he was looking for 20K, so 10%. Is, Is that kind of the normal amount or What's the range here, loan to value? Usually it was 50% loan to value. And then for that enormous loan, I think we just couldn't have matched it to like 50%. Like we didn't have $100,000. And also it's very hard to value as well. So we usually value at the lowest price. We just basically evaluate all the kind of estimates. And so the estimates were between $100,000 to $500,000. So we said, okay, like a fair price could be $200,000 if we sold it on OpenSea as an auction. And so, yeah, for that precise one, it was 10%, but usually it was more like 50%. So like we would give $1,000 against $2,000 of Decentraland, for instance. We've done that for the first loan ever. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So overall, NFTs, you said this is small, but do you see a lot of potential here? Are you bullish on NFTs in general? What's your outlook there? Yes, I'm super bullish. So again, I kind of stopped exploring NFT, like the DAO space. Like I pretty much like to, I think I've explored like every primitive in crypto so far, which is pretty fun. But yeah, to finish off the NFT part, I would say niftex.com is really, really interesting. And uh, basically what they do is that they fractionalize NFT. I think they call it shards or something like this. I, I forgot, or faction. And it's really cool for increasing liquidity around NFT and kind of doing the same spirit as Rocket. And so, yeah, uh, as my view on the general NFT space, there's, it's not the NFT space, I think. It's more like the crypto art community, which is really awesome. And there's lots of artists that are creating this new kind of like high quality GIFs, which are very stylistic and very artsy. And it's like new sort of creativity where... You can speculate on some art or the art can change and be updated like software. So super bullish on this. Video games also uh, huge because it's one of the most popular uh, use cases right now. So not for the rocket use case, but I'm just saying in general, virtual real estate. Yeah, 
I guess AR and VR will be a huge, huge improvement. And that will be a game changer to have like your own economy. So that's where crypto comes in. NFT are great because it can enable AR and VR to have an actual decentralized economy. So yeah, like it's not the NFT space, I would say, but each primitive around the NFT, they're all going to distinctly explode in the future. I'm pretty sure. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. What what was the website that you said? I didn't catch it, actually. It's called Niftex, N-I-F-T-E-X.com, which uh, is very recent, but it's extremely amazing. It's basically in the same path of ideas as Rocket, but it's a full-time team, I'm, I'm sure, and it's a very, very serious project. And uh, anyone in the FT space should look them up. Uh, Niftex, pretty, pretty cool stuff. Great. Uh, yeah, I'll link it in the uh, show notes. Niftex, haven't heard of it. So lastly, what's next for Rocket? Where can people find out more? Anything else? Yeah, sure. So Rocket is at RocketNFT on Twitter. Uh, soon enough, we are going to publish something around the first, like f- like phase one of all the loans that we made, the six or seven ones that we made. And it was a very fun time because every time we were doing a loan, we were like, oh, the first ever main name back loan or the first ever virtual real estate back loan. So it was really interesting to innovate every time and to find new use cases. So this first phase will end. And then I am maybe looking for someone to take over Rocket potentially, or or I will just leave it as it is. And the DAO lives on forever anyway. So if someone wants to stake some funds in the DAO and manage the DAO afterwards, it's the you know open Web3 world. So someone can take over anyway. What I actually really love about Rocket is a lot of people, if they have this idea, they build this big platform that you're taking funds from investors and distributing and how to analyze these NFTs. And I love that you just rolled up your sleeves and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take these things as collateral. I'll v- evaluate them myself. I'll figure out the interest rate and we'll just do this whole thing through the tools that already exist with Typeform and these DAOs that are already out there. So kudos to you for just rolling up your sleeves uh-huh. and getting this thing launched. And you created a new market, right? So I, at least from my perspective, I, I don't know anybody taking NFTs as collateral for loans. So yeah, looking at somebody like MakerDAO and saying, what if we used a different type of collateral that doesn't exist now? Yeah, kudos to you. And I, I uh-huh. will link both of those things in the show notes. And I hope that you know, I'll, I'll continue to follow it. And if I have anybody that I think would be a good candidate for taking the reins and, and keeping this thing live on, I think it's a cool project. Nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I think this spirit will live on whether someone takes over Rocket or not, because this project's like like Niftex or others, like I think Binbase. And yeah, like there's, there's a few cool things going on. It's, it's yeah, the, there's almost nobody in that market because I think it's too early but definitely something to look forward in the future. All right. So next, personal tokens. You are the personal token, the human IPO man across the internet. You had a lot of press when this happened a couple months ago. So why don't you just give a high overview, what you did, why you decided to do it, and how it went? For sure. So to put it shortly, personal tokens lets you sell shares of yourself. And so yourself is a very vague term because it can mean anything. Uh, It can mean selling your time. It can mean selling your potential. And this is fascinating uh, to me because 
I've always been fascinated by potential. Like I'm very, I'm a very young person. And so like the past year, everyone was so supportive in the Ethereum ecosystem saying, oh, you have so much energy. Like we are willing to back you. And I'm not the only one in that case, because actually shortly after Kerman Coley, which is another young founder, also raised like the exact amount as I did. So it's really, really interesting. I can dive through the history of the Alex token, but for me, personal token has always been a part of me ever since I joined crypto because not many people know this, but I was like in the Bay Area last year, probably around this time. And I really wanted to go to Berlin Blockchain Week. And so like I'm European, but that was kind of ironic because at the time I was in California and I didn't really have the funds to go there. I just started being in Metacartel just for like, what, four days, something. And I'm like, oh, damn, I really want to go to Berlin Blockchain Week. Everyone would be there. And so I tweet like, oh, if I had unlimited funds, I would probably make it. And I and basically Peter Pan sees my tweet and sends me the money over. So that five days notice, I go to Berlin. And once we're in Berlin, he's like, you know, I'm not really wealthy. But what I can do, though, is that I can create a personal token for you that symbolizes the debt that you owe me. And this was just crazy because he got his debt paid back like way before I got the funds to pay him back. Uh, and so I paid back the debt holders instead. And this was such a crazy experiment. And it, it was called AML19, Alex Masmesh Loan 2019. Uh, it was really funny. And he created this in a snap. And so what happened is that when I did this experiment, the role team, which is so a team that creates personal token as a service, they reached out to me saying, wow, but this is crazy. Like we are doing this as a company and you guys are doing it yourself. Like, do you want to create your personal token? Do you want to do it for a more general purpose use case where whatever you want to do with it, you can? And I said, yes. And so this, this happened in September of 2019. And for a few months, didn't really do much about it. I think uh, some people like gave me some Alex and I could do a tweet, uh, which was like a very minor use case. Didn't do much about it. And then uh, COVID-19 happened and I had like a, a deal with like a company that, that would pay me. And so I got it cut during the COVID-19 crisis. And so what happened is I'm like, oh, damn, like I have a bit less revenue now. And the funny thing is that a week later, I was on uh, ECC, so the big conference in Paris every year on the main stage talking about personal tokens. And I was like, wow, this is such a crazy opportunity to, in front of everybody, say that I will be raising funds so that short term I can focus on, you know, building a startup and not care about any making money on the side or what anything. And I did it. And at the time, the response was pretty nice. So I said on stage in March. It was really cool. People are like, wow, this is a bit like brave because of the COVID-19 crisis and things. But you do you. And that's that's pretty cool. And so not much noise. And then I kind of prepare the fundraise. And in start of April, I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm releasing it for sure. I launched my Medium article. And so it was $20,000, uh, which at the time for me was great because it's the smallest amount that's still substantial. But at the same time, I don't want it to put it too big because I'm not sure how much actually I could have raised. And I just do this. 
and in four days it's all of like it's oversubscribed and so i was super surprised and there were like awesome people in the space like at Danfine, like the project League at metamask or so many other great founders and investors and yeah i was really surprised and so when i finished it this is when the media started going at me saying like i was the first human ipo etc so that was really fun times and then uh, I still like ideate with people about startups and everything. And two months in, I'm like, okay, I might do something again with my token because this was really fun. And so Austin Griffiths, which is a developer in the space, just did this personal token voting that was inspired by my token. And I'm discussing with him, I'm like, well, I should really own it and I should do some voting with my token. And so two months ago or like a month ago, I unveiled Control My Life which is like a clickbait title, but it is basically people can choose my habit in July. And so this July so far, I've been running five kilometers every single day because this is what the challenge, this is what the people voted. Like they had to sign the Alex token. So there was another use case. A month ago, there was also a chat room on Telegram where if you have an Alex token, you can sign a transaction, proving that you own them, and then we get you a unique invite to a Telegram group. So I just like summed up uh, the past few experiences around the Alex token, but basically it represents my potential as a founder, my popularity. The more people are aware, likely the higher the price is going up. And on the basis that I will maybe be a successful pe person later. And so I'm banking on this. <laughs> so many use cases, we can go through any, any of what you like. And yeah, that's that's the Alex token for you. That's just fascinating. There's there's a lot to unpack there. These personal tokens have a lot of similarities with income share agreements, which have been around for quite some time. And I think actually the first human IPO was in 2008. Of course, it wasn't yes. tokenized and all of these things. But did you talk to this guy before? Were you inspired by him, inspired by income share agreements? I, I know you talked briefly about you have this potential and it's, and I completely agree with you, right? It's like you want to unlock this and help you get along your way. But did income share agreements, this first human IPO, yes. did all of these things kind of influence you? Walk me through the decision making process of doing the actual IPO itself. For sure, for or sure. That, that, initial that, person that, offering it, it works, yeah. IPO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Initial Alex offering. Yeah, so you're right. It's So it's not Mike Merrill. So Mike Merrill is the person that you referred to, which is someone who in 2008 sold a million dollars worth of shares in himself. Uh, I knew he existed. I think someone told me like the year before, but I never really connected the dots on, on him. And I actually got to know him because I got some press and stuff. And so he got interested in me and now like uh, we know each other, but no, like what really inspired me is that I, I knew that ISA was a big thing because I come from the startup world. I know that in a startup world, if you're a young developer, there's Lambda school and other innovative schools that can form you, that can educate you and you pay later based on your potential as a software developer. So I knew that ISA was a big thing. I also knew of James Gallagher, which is like an exceptional, very young person. I think he's like 17. He did an ISA of himself. And so that was really intriguing. And the third thing is that I am familiar with the super ambitious young person in Silicon Valley. And I know that some people, like whether they're in Stanford or other very elite schools, sometimes angel investors approach them saying, you know, 
I want to give you $100,000 right now against 10% of your income in the next 10 years. And so this is something that right now has just been reserved for the elite of Silicon Valley. And I really wanted to benefit from it myself, especially in times like COVID-19, where there was like likely a crisis happening and, and it was maybe harder to make money in the short term. And so personal tokens enable that. They enable anyone in the world, if they have enough people believing in them, a very easy vehicle to fundraise. And it's not like ICO, where it's based on a project and it can be like, you know, opaque. Here, it's it's myself. Like, I, don't, I cannot really run away, uh, like, of course, like, unless crazy scenarios, but I cannot run away from my own character and my own self. So it feels more transparent. Sure, I can run away with the money, but that would ruin my reputation. So this is the reasoning behind it. So yeah, the $20,000 for context is an ISA. Uh, I am giving 15% of my income in the next three years, which I find like a really good deal because it's a good deal for both parties because I'm getting $20,000 and they might get more in the next three years, but it's like a delayed loan. So it's, it's, it's really good, I think, for both parts. And it's easier for me as a founder than giving up equity. Income is much, much uh, easier than equity. So anyway, yeah, inspiration is the ISA. And crypto isn't too startup-y sometimes. Crypto is like open source people, uh, idealists, and they, they didn't really know about the ISA world. And I'm the one who bridged the two. And so that's why I think it got interesting in the mainstream press, because people knew about investing in young people, but they also knew about crypto. And so I mixed both topics and that was really new. So the token holders get 15% of your income. And it sounds like basically this is just backed by your reputation and trust that you will be actually paying 15% of any income and actually including all of your income. Are you only including like Ethereum-based income so it's provable or ultimately they just have to trust you that you're tracking all of it and paying out a proportion? Right. So no, it's it's all of my income. Well, that's what I say. So people have to trust me, but it's it's all of my income. Right now, I collected the funds on a transparent address which still owns most of the money. So it's Mass Maison, which is like my last name in French, .eth. So people can check it out and they can look it up. And yes, so I made some income in the past three months. And so quarterly, I will give it out and I will probably publish it. I will do it this month, which is the first ever time I am disbursing my income. And yeah, I made some income, just uh, might as well share some of them, some of it with the, those people that supported me. And so it's all my income. I'm not even counting taxes. It's gross. I just, for yeah, I, I want to give out as much as possible to people who supported me. And and for me, like this, this disbursement is going to be not even like 5 or 10% of the total amount anyway. So it's really great because the next three years, it's they probably will make a profit. I kept it at $100,000, which is like enormous anyway. I'm not sure I'm going to have 5x. Uh, my loan in three years uh, with 15%, but just in case I kept it. So it's a sweet spot between philanthropy because they're not getting venture capital returns. They're not doing a thousand X on me, but it's a mix of philanthropy and venture capital returns. It's like in between, like they're helping me, they're going to make a bit of money and uh, it's a fun experiment for everyone. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, fair terms. Okay. It was kind of yeah. decided randomly to be honest, but yeah. So that 20K, just curious, treasury management, is it 
held in ETH? Since this is public, I assume it's okay to disclose. Is it yeah. held in ETH, partially in DAI? Is it lent out on Compound to earn a little interest? Which is the thought process there? So I am a very risk-taking person. And so I found the sweet spot between getting exposed to maybe an ETH bull market and, of course, crushing all my uh, savings is that I bought a token sets with the $20,000. That is, I think it's called RSI 6040 ETH. So it's an indicator of how bullish it is. And if uh, it's trending bearish, it resells automatically to CUSDC on compound. So worst case scenario, I'm earning a yield on compound. Base case scenario, it is held in ETH. Um, and that token set itself for the $20,000 is insured on Nexus Mutual. And fortunately, it's actually very cheap to insure token sets because it's a smart contract that's been battle tested. It's been there for a while. There was no hacks. Uh, there was great audits and things. And so I think it costed me something like $60 to insure this. And the upside is enormous. So right now I'm still at $20,000 because um, pretty much like the market didn't really move in any good direction. Like ETH is pretty low, but I am I can... I think feel a bull market because Ethereum has been completely crazy the past month in growth. And I am sure that the ETH price will, will catch up and it's going to be really interesting to see. And so, yeah, I'm also willing to benefit. And you, people have asked me, are you going to give out some money from uh, the profit you make from the $20,000 speculation wise? And I guess, yeah, up to a certain cap, if that can help me feel more comfortable giving out more funds to them as a thank you for believing in me. And yeah, that's likely. So I'm also going to give out maybe portions, at least, I don't know, like the first $5,000 of profit of those 20K, I'll for sure give it out to, to those holders. Nice. And I'll definitely uh, link to those token sets that you're using. That's very interesting. Talking about the actual sale itself, you raised $20,000. There were a few people, one of which is in this call that sent his money a little too late and didn't get any Alex tokens. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I remember that. There was... I missed by one block. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a crazy story. Yeah, there's like three people, including you, uh, that sent slightly too late. And I thought, should I take the... Like, this was more money. So I was like, that. well, that's great, right? Why would you refuse uh, money? It's because it would either dilute more everyone or I didn't feel comfortable. I was like, well, that, that's over now. Yeah, sorry about this. <laughs> no, you said twenty k, and you collected twenty k, and I was over that limit. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I get for trying to contribute twenty one thousand dollars to you. <laughs> so these token holders, there's a distinction between the tokens that were initially purchased in this initial Alex offering and the tokens that are now tradable on Uniswap. So if you could just Talk to me a little bit more about the token, where it is trading, what the market cap is, how it's performed since the initial Alex offering, and the difference between the tokens that I can buy on Uniswap and that were available in the initial Alex offering. That's an excellent question. And that's a question that I surprised myself because I really thought uh, this was straightforward. I didn't really think about this, the consequences of, of doing this sale. Uh, but then I realized, damn, like I did a use case with 10% of the supply, but then one token has some income claims and 90% of it doesn't. So it's a bit of a weird situation. And maybe I should have done in retrospect, 
a special token. So like maybe like Alex income or whatever, like another token so that it's more clear. But yeah, basically 10% of the supply. So there are 10 million Alex in total. I reserved a million tokens for that use case. And so they were sold at, at a premium, two cents each. I think right now, so right now, so funny enough, because I'm getting more popular and I did like control my life and other experiments, the token price actually went up that valuation. But at the time it was a big premium. I was valuing myself, I think at 200K, which made sense because I raised 20K. And so like, I don't know, I just rule of thumb. It's like 10X. Yeah, I just thought it was like uh, reasonable. So those tokens get the income claim. And I told the people before I disperse my income claim, if I see on your address that you exited Alex tokens so that you sold on the market or that, you know, you used it uh, to pay for one of my services. So you sent Alex to my address so that I can perform a service like a tweet or like voting on whatever thing or getting office hours with me or whatever use case uh, we have together. If you did exit your income claims in any way, you will get a pro rata a less income share. So that means that maybe in the next three years, my 15% claim will slightly diminish if people spend it by then. So, and it's also a great way for them to exit. Like if they want to, they can exit this experiment and get some money back. And maybe more money back if if the utility Alex, so 90% of the supply on Uniswap goes super up and they're like, well, the income claims might never reach that. So might as well exit today. That, that's, that's fine too. So yeah, the Alex that you buy on Uniswap today, so like the free market Alex is not eligible for any income claim. And this was like slightly confusing. So long story short. The income sharing Alex is a one-way bridge to the utility Alex. And today, buying Alex on Uniswap will not give you any income claims because I want to give my income to people who gave me the money directly. When you buy Alex on Uniswap, I am indirectly benefiting, but not entirely. It's mostly the market makers that are benefiting. And I'm only a market maker of like 5% of all Alex at most. Like it's, it's role, it's other holders and things. So, but yeah, so long story short, there's now two different kinds of Alex in, with the same ticker and, and symbol, but it's fine. I managed to keep the two like experiments and people around it separate. So it's, it's okay so far. Yeah. And that's the benefits of being on a blockchain such as ETH, right? All of this is public, transparent and permanent. So you can trace the entire time, see if they've held it, see how long they've held it see the original wallet. So it's got a lot of benefits. The entire supply, that 10 million Alex tokens are all tradable or did you hold any yourself, any treasury that you kept for yourself or they're all trading now? Right. So the token economics of my personal token was mostly decided by Roll because I decided to go through Roll. Roll has a vesting mechanism, meaning that I don't get the 10 million Alex straight away. So every month giving me 200,000 Alex, which is big because right now I think there's only 800,000 Alex liquid on Uniswap. So that are like in market makers currently on Uniswap V1, on Uniswap V2, and even recently on Balancer, which is another decentralized exchange. And so these, so yeah, $200,000 dispersed monthly to my wallet, 
from a role called Wallet where they keep like millions of the remaining Alex. So, so far there is 3.4 million circulating Alex. And yet there's going to be a bit more every month, but I, I basically never sold any. I don't want to, it would feel like I'm shorting myself if I was selling Alex. So I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm going to do an experiment very soon. I'm not sure if I should talk about it. Actually, maybe because this podcast will be released by then. I'm going to try to do some liquidity mining like Compound has done with my token. Because the Alex token right now is liquid. There's like $20,000 worth of floating Alex. But it's not that much if you want to buy or sell. The price is very volatile. And so for better price discovery, I want to make it so that I want to incentivize people to supply Alex to Uniswap as like a market maker. I think this will be very interesting because we would actually see what the community values my token. And I just want to incentivize and try to see if people and if people do it. So I have no clue right now of whether it's going to be successful or not, but I'm going to unveil this very soon. Nice. Jump on the liquidity mining band, uh, bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, so this exactly. is this is being recorded July 16th and it's very hot right now. The market makers that are supplying liquidity to Uniswap already are earning the fees, right? So they're already incentivized to create a liquid market for this Alex token. So you're going to, and if you haven't plotted this whole thing out, you'll have to talk about it. But the idea is to incentivize the, those liquidity providers with additional Alex tokens for yes. growing the liquidity of the Alex yes. token. Gotcha. Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, it sounds like role is basically fulfilling the the role <laughs> of uh, being a smart contract. So they took that $20,000, they're emitting these 200,000 Alex to you. The initial 1 million was circulating, but these people are incentivized not to sell because, you know, they get a portion of your income. So it had a very low actual circulating supply from the very get-go, right? Yes. So Roll, the way Roll makes money or will make money is that they own 12% of all Alex. So that's their fee. And many people shouted at me saying, wow, this is crazy. Like, this is such a high fee. And to be honest, I am very fine with that fee, at least for now. And I'm sure I will in the future because they are not playing to sell. They, they are, I am one of the first use cases and anyone who's, who's hearing this podcast and wants to do their own personal token, let me, let me tell you, like they are not going to sell your 12%. So if anything, like they are willing to help you, they are going to be skin in the game. They are going to put ETH on Uniswap liquidity. They even for my $20,000 sale, like they they actually gave me 12% of that sale. So they are skinning the game more than anything. And so that's how they help. Uh, yeah. And of course, like it's of course the role of the smart contract as well. So yeah, the role team is great. Can you give our listeners a little overview of what the process looks like for role? You go in and you just say, I want a personal token or will you have needed to think through some of these things? Is it a utility token? Is it an income share agreement? What does this mean? Will I use Austin's <laughs> control my life dashboard <laughs> through the kind of higher level process there? Right. So I think, so there's multiple philosophies. So first, I am not a typical role user because I am a power user of Ethereum and I'm well connected to the space. And I did this Austin Griffiths personal token voting thing. I did uh, the personal chat room with a bridge where people signed to get into an exclusive Alex chat room. So I've done my experiment myself, but role isn't like, didn't do anything for these experiments. So what role does is First of all, they select people. So they 
the role acts as a credential. Like, I don't think they opened it to the public. So for now, people who go through role, like role did some due diligence on like, should we trust this person? Like, is this like a good enough person? Like, we don't want to have scams, you know, so they, so they act as a credential almost. That's their value. And then for people who are not in crypto, role is a great way to buy into a community. So they let you create QR codes and things like this that you can give out to your fans and then or your community and people can exchange it and buy it on Ethereum, I guess. But the tooling isn't quite there yet on roll side. So you you can go on, on Uniswap to, to trade it. So but yeah, they didn't think about the ISA use case. For for role, the use case is I'm an artist, I'm a creator, I'm a YouTuber, I'm a streamer. I will give free tokens to my community and see how they react with it and, and try out some experiments like, oh, if you own some if you own some Alex tokens, maybe you know, like my art will be discounted 20% to you or things like this. So they don't re- really you don't have to come with any intentions whatsoever. When I created my token last year or like 10 months ago, they told me, yeah, let's let's just trade out, let's say an hour of your time to start off and we'll see how your community reacts. And they're very flexible because they all know everyone has a different community vision, et cetera. So they really want to be agnostic of whatever vision the token holder is. And they just want to facilitate selling, uh, giving away and things like this. And that's it. It's more like a protocol rather than a product. They don't have an opinion. It's like investing in someone's community, pretty much. That's what they call it. Yeah, I'm bullish on this space in general. I think somehow investing in these creators before they are this super popular creator on the internet is a fascinating idea. Patreon Capital just announced Mm. a few months ago that that's basically what they're doing, right? They can see the subscriber count. They can see the number of people. They can see the growing interest in this creator. And they say, okay, well, what would you do with another 50,000 bucks? Would it increase your subscriber count and, and catapult you to the next level? If so, we're interested in investing in you, the creator, you might not have access to bank loans or whatever. So yeah, I think it's a fascinating space. Overall with personal tokens, are you bullish in this space? What is, in your opinion, the best use case or the ideal customer avatar person looking to create a personal token for themselves? So yeah, I am very bullish on this space. I think there are two ways. And so I've quite like searched a lot in this area in the past two months or three months. I think there's two main ways this is going to go. The first one, and you touched on it previously, is the future of Kickstarter, which is, you know, you want to sell a product and that product will be a token in itself so that, you know, it's not a security. It's not something that has income and direct money value. It's like a product that you produce out of yourself. And then maybe like the sum of your product will amount to some personal token of some sorts. But in, in this way, you kind of avoid legislation around it. And this is what Zora and Foundation have done, which I think is really genius, which is you tokenize not the person, but you tokenize like a pair of shoe, you tokenize a t-shirt, you tokenize a piece of art. And so for creators, it's a way to benefit from the market making innovation of Ethereum and crypto. And so it's not personal tokens yet, but it's, you know, art or like product tokens of creators. So Kickstarter is like, I think in the same range of ideas, that's really going to be huge. And the second one is maybe going full into security and basically say the new white combinator. Okay. This is a security token. This is like investing in someone's future. 
ISA or the new seed round and let's go full on for it and build kind of like the coin list of personal tokens, which is we are going to select exceptional young people with very high uh, income potential and we are going to trade them. And investors kind of form like a personal boards of directors to help them during that future. So it's kind of like incentivized mentors. And so I think these are the two use cases. So either you go the fully regulated route with security and like you do coins for personal tokens and you invest and it's like a new startup, almost like seed round thing, or you go to, okay, let's create tokens of someone's product and services. And so that way it's the product that's being sold. So it's not a legal issue and it's, it's, it's perfect that way. So I think these are the two main things I am most bullish on in the personal token space. That's awesome. I love what you said about incentivized mentorship. What an awesome idea. (laughs) You've written about this before, right? That you basically have your own personal board of directors that's helping you with your life decisions. It's what everybody's looking for in mentorship. And if you can find a way to incentivize them, because people's time is not free, uh, which these personal tokens have this potential. Uh, You touched briefly on the legality of these personal tokens. I I would imagine this is a very gray legal area. I'll caveat this. I'm not a lawyer. I don't (laughs) think that you're a lawyer. But um, is role helping you think through some of these things? Or it's gray, it's new, it's it's kind of one of these things that we'll figure out later? Yeah, for sure. So for role, it's it's clear that this is not a security. And I'm sure they consulted some lawyers and, and they are convinced by it. But Roll did not really anticipate my use case that I did pretty much without the permission, which was the income sharing agreement. And so this one, I did this without any legal enforcement, not even crypto enforcement. So yeah, for sure. Like it's it's up for debate. It's a very, very brand new topic. No one has ever done this ever in the world. Mike Merrill, I don't even know his situation, but it was different because he wasn't crypto. And there's some utilities. I think I was extremely reasonable with the amount. And this is not something, you know, that regulators care about. But of course, this is something, if I wanted to do like the same ISA at scale, like creating a platform, of course, I would look at things uh, like regulations and what can I do uh, about it. But there's like the Jobs Act. There's uh, income-based royalty crowdfunding, which is another gray area that I could perhaps fit into. But the, the real thing is that we don't know. Roll tells people like me that we should only tokenize our community. And so there is no income claims whatsoever. And so that's straightforward. This is not, this is a community, like everyone can trade it, et cetera. So yeah, it's a, it's a gray area, but I think me and Kerman, we were very uh, reasonable by raising very small amounts of course, the elephant in the room is that, of course, I will repay people. And so if no one is upset, I don't think there's going to be, you know, any any problems whatsoever. So yeah, you know, it's a gray area. I've done it on an extremely small scale. So there will be no problem for me. I'm not even located in the United States during this, during this experiment because of COVID. So I'm really, really safe. But of course, if you want to do income claims at scale on a more serious business side. Yes, this is probably recommended to consult a lawyer. I have consulted informally some lawyers that told me like it is it has some security elements to the ISA, but like the more I talk about it, the yeah, it's like what can I do? It's it's a very small scale. I don't I don't want to spend like, you know, half the fees of that race in in like lawyers preparation of some paperwork. I think it's it's all reasonable amounts and it's fine and 
uh, they are way bigger fish to fry. But yeah, for sure. We'll see how it goes. I think this is what I just said, you know, in my previous answer is that either you go the regulated route and you say, this is a new way to invest in people, or you go the product route where it's like, well, you buy a product that has some utility. The price might be dynamically priced by the market, but it's a product, it's a utility. So yeah, there's both ways to go around it and uh, might take us some kind of both. So who knows really? But uh, all I know is that <laughs> all I know is that I'm fine. <laughs> well, you said it correctly, right? You raised twenty thousand dollars to do this thing correctly, set up a legal entity, get legal opinions, and a legal team. You're looking at fifty thousand dollars, and it's like, what? So kudos to you for doing it. It's it's awesome. I am curious on these tokens that are circulating, trading on Uniswap, and this voting platform. All tokens have the same voting rights or this initial 1 million that were sold in the initial Alex offering have different uh, voting rights versus the, the circulating supply? So they, they do. They all have some uh, votes. And the reason why is because, so as I said previously, I want the people who have my income claims to, to not fail the Alex. This is more like a, a share of my future, but it's distinct from the free market Alex. The reason why everyone can vote on control my life experiment is because it is just signing, proving that you own the token. So the token do not move whatsoever, which makes it easier for everyone. So for sure, like if you, yeah, for $20,000, 1 million, like if you have a hundred thousand Alex, because you gave out uh, $2,000 to that sale, then you can just sign and prove you own them. So this is a very lightweight experiment that is free because it just involves signing a transaction on your existing tokens. And this is the reason why everyone can do it. And it's it's fine until roll with 12% of your supply starts voting because they can swing that vote pretty easily. I would think so. Yeah. If there's any listeners looking to do an initial personal token offering, let me know. I missed Alex's, so I'm still... Hungry for them, obviously. <laughs> I'm surprised, actually, we haven't seen an investment DAO that's only investing in initial personal token offerings, yeah. basically pooling the money and just investing in these initial personal token offerings. It'd be kind of the similar process. Somebody would have to do due diligence on each of these, but it'd be a pretty cool, interesting new investment vehicle. That's for sure. Yes. So let me know oh, yeah. if you hear of any of those. Uh, for sure, for sure. Going forward, it seems like a lot of people are looking at personal tokens. What sort of advice would you give them? Would you say go to roll, think about either the regulated or the utility route? What kind of advice would you offer them? So there are multiple platforms they can see whether they are a creator, like if they own a podcast or a newsletter or something, they could probably either create their own token or they can go through roll or they can go through rally. Or they can even go through Zora or Foundation if they are like artists with a decent size following. So it depends on your use case. I think the more crypto native your audience is, the easier it is to do some experiments. Because for me, like this was the easiest use case because the people, my network in Ethereum, they all know Ethereum. They all know how to use MetaMask. And so this was much easier to pull it off. And so if you're more like an artist and you're not really into crypto, maybe look into some things like uh, Rolls, Zora, Foundation, Rally, which are the current platforms for those who don't really. It's not that you, it's not like the people who tokenize themselves should not know about Ethereum. 
but it's their audience. Like you might know Ethereum, but if your audience doesn't, then better go through some platforms that facilitate it so, and make it easy to create one. So I would say, yeah, there's a few platforms. Uh, you can try them out. It's going to be a, a huge space in the future. It's just the very start. So you hinted that perhaps some liquidity mining, but what excites you for Alex token holders kind of in the near term? So near term, I am excited to first disperse my income. This is going to happen in the next 10, 15 days. Uh, so I'm speaking in mid-July right now. This is going to be exciting. Liquidity mining is going to be exciting as well. I'm going to see like what the new liquidity, like is this going to work? Are people going to like it? And if I get more people invested in myself because of this experiment, what new advice, what new help, what new leverage will I be able to pull off that? And then, yeah, excited to move to San Francisco, do a startup, raise funds, and and excited to see how the market reacts to my future self. That's going to be super interesting. I know that Kerman, so which is someone who did a special token just after me, he got hired by Zora, which is a great company in the personal token space, or like kind of like a similar space. And I think his price went up dramatically uh, since then because it's like, wow, it's a proof that he gets uh, you know tier one startup uh, roles. So that's really awesome. So I'm excited to to see how the market reacts, and I'm also excited, of course. And anyone listening to the podcast who wants to do a personal token can reach out to me. I'm excited by the the new ones. Like it's just you know at most five people that I know who did their own and take it seriously. So I'm really excited to see other people do it. You have a knack for finding yourself in these niche, smaller corners of the crypto sphere. Crypto in general, what areas within this Ethereum crypto ecosystem excites you the most from more of an investment standpoint? This could be the next big thing in your opinion. Well, to be honest, when I look at the crypto space, for me, it's DeFi, DAO, NFT, personal tokens for me are the four primitives and it feels like I've done all of them. And so now what's exciting the most, which is kind of ironic, is going out of these small niches. What can normal consumers use out of those four primitives, maybe a mix of some of those together. Now it's like, let's forget about the 200,000 people who are crypto natives and who are pretty much nerds, right? And let's, that's going to be the big thing. I've explored everything this year. I've explored every single primitive. Now I'm going to try to make it so that the actual market of 99.9999% of people in the world care about this. This is my yeah next big thing. And uh, that's why I wanted to do a startup and I, I really hope I will find something. But yeah, like these use cases are awesome. And I oh, and every time we discuss it on the podcast, at the end, I always say, yeah, I'm bullish on the future. I'm bullish on the future. Well, now let's build the future. That's what I'm most excited about. Absolutely. And I think these personal tokens, especially right now, people are looking for good investment opportunities. And on the receiving end, people could use this extra funding to give them the little boost career wise that they might need. So it's an interesting time for this to pop up for sure. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's super late where you are right now and <laughs> you're in Paris, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just lastly, how can people get in touch, find out more, follow what you're working on? Sure, sure. I guess a good uh, point is uh, a good chilling point for me is Twitter. So at Alex Masmej, M-A-S-M-E-J. And uh, yeah, that's that's a great place to start. I'm pretty active on there. And uh, yeah, like if anyone wants to DM me, it's the same for Telegram. So feel free to message me directly as well there. Thank you so much, Alex. 
really appreciate it. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh Thank you so much, Ben. That was really uh, interesting. There you have it. Episode number one of the podcast. So I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Alex. It was very crypto heavy. A lot of the future podcasts will not be so crypto heavy, but I wanted to start with this one because it really represents some unique alternative investments within the crypto sphere. We'll be producing a number of these episodes. They come out every week on Monday. So please follow us on social medias at invest in alts or go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you found some value in this. Please visit altassetallocation.com for show notes and links to everything we talked about, as well as a transcript. Always looking for feedback. Hopefully you enjoyed that, but this is an iterative process. So please send me some messages if you have some insight. Uh, I'm responsive on all of the social medias. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.